This is episode 41 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holden, the resident intuitive healer and witch at SensitivityUncensored.com. Each new and full moon, I bring you the voices of sensitive, empathic, and creative pioneers starting conversations to lift up the voices of sensitive souls who have a piece of the solution to help all of us evolve out of the limiting patriarchal structures that bind us and start to create a new world that values us all. This is the Soul of Sensitivity. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Soul of Sensitivity. Thanks so much for listening. You know, it actually means a lot to me that you're clicking download and listening to the words that I've putting into this microphone. So welcome back. It's a new moon today. It's uh, March 6th. It's actually March 5th, the day before as I'm recording this introduction, and March 5th marks the day when Mercury is going into its first retrograde of the year. So welcome, Mercury Retrograde says nobody ever. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and say it because retrogrades are actually kind of a a lovely time. They're a time for us to reflect to see, hey, you know, what have I what decisions have I been making? What things have I been cooking up? And you know, do I want to move forward with those things? They offer us a bit of a respite to, um, you know, and and give us the energy. uh, They create an available energy for us to reflect. And to us, for us to kind of go over big, big contracts and decisions that we're considering. So this next, oh, it's almost a month. It goes the 5th through the 28th. You know, take some extra time. What are some of the big things that you've been planning? Some decisions you've been wanting to make? Some papers you've wanted, wanted to sign? And, you know, maybe take a little bit of extra time to reflect on those things. Some of the more annoying things that can happen during Mercury retrograde, travel can be delayed, Uh, our electronics and communication, Mercury is the the planet that rules communication, so communication can feel a little uh, more challenging. I tend to have more technical difficulties uh, around this time, but you know, now you have something to blame it on. Um, Kidding, not kidding. I'm not an expert in Mercury retrograde, I've just survived, you know, many of them. So welcome to another Mercury retrograde. (laughs) And, you know, welcome to this new moon, another new moon cycle. I love following the moon as we're doing this year on the podcast and as I've been doing in my life. It's beautiful. It gives me 13 cycles within a year, you know, 13 cycles in which to make intentions, clear intentions notice what is born and harvested from those intentions, and then offers a period of um, celebration and then reflection on what I want to do next. So welcome to this next new moon. It is both a culmination, an ending of a cycle, and the beginning of something new. I lost a bit of track of the last cycle because it February was a, a challenging month here with all the snow and the school closures and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to this new moon here. I already have been reflecting in the last, uh, as this um, crescent moon has been waning, I've been reflecting on what I want to do differently this cycle, um, and I'm excited to be putting those into place next Monday. 
I also wanted to draw your attention to another moon tracking tool that I've been using and just really another good tracking tool in general. To be clear, I have absolutely no affiliation with this company at all. Um, I don't have affiliations with any company, so <laughs> if I do have affiliations, you will know. I will let you know up front and center. But, you know, this was one of those things that I happened to um, become aware of through someone I follow on Instagram. There is a company called The Threads of Fate. I'll make a link to it in the show notes. And they make a beautiful deck of uh, cards, but they also make a book that they call The Book of Days. This is the most thorough tracking, you know, goal tracking and just kind of general well-being tracker that I have ever come across. And it's humongous. It weighs four pounds because it has a full big page for every day of the year. The thing that I, the other thing that I love about the Book of Days is it has um, uh, planning pages for each month, so it has like a full month spread. But nothing is dated, nothing is labeled. So you don't, if you don't um, track something every day it's okay. You can stop and pick it back up again. Um, If your life got a little bit crazy and now it's calmed back down, you can always pick things back up again. It has uh, some of the, it has moon cycles from 2018 up through like 2021, something like that. So it's, you know, it's going to provide you with some information about the moon and it allows you to, it gives you a space on each page to track where the moon is that day. And so I have found it to be an incredibly helpful tool for tracking the moon, tracking my cycle, like I said, I've been doing, but also tracking my intentions for the, you know, for the cycle, for the week, for the day, um, and being able to forward what didn't get done, being able to reflect on how I felt, where my energy level was. And, you know, I can track so many things here. So it really has become, you know, I I had been tracking things in a few different locations, and now I get to track them all in one place. Now, this book, because it weighs four pounds, it's difficult to carry with you. So (laughs) it's not really made for that either. It's meant to sit on a table and be part of your ritual, you know, your, your ritual for sitting down every day. But I have to say that I have genuinely loved it. So just want to throw it out there, The Threads of Fate, Book of Days. Okay, hold on. I've been holding it while I talk. I'm going to set it down. You're going to hear some some noise fluctuations. All right, so speaking of where we are, let's place us, shall we? If you're listening to this um, right as it comes out, we're in a new moon in Pisces. You guys, this is my favorite. My natal moon is in Pisces, and so I love moon in Pisces. This is like my happy place. I think that most people, this is not their happy place. (laughs) So remember that new moon, it's a time of beginnings. And, uh, you know, the new moon, it's, it's a dark time. Things are hidden. Things are underneath the surface. And it's the time when we, in the collective, we are the most introverted, you know, there's a lot of uh, drawing in uh, energy in the collective. And Pisces is the sign of, uh, you know, imagination, mystical, spiritual pursuits, the inner world, the dark world, the, uh, you know, inner development. It's, it's very watery. Information that comes through at this time it comes through in 
metaphor or symbols or signs. It does not come through in a straightforward, linear way. We can feel really dreamy at this time, kind of an impressionable. And if we if we don't like that kind of dreamy, romantic energy, we can feel kind of frustrated that that's what's available. Um, this is a very highly intuitive time. I mean, any new moon is an intuitive time, but a Pisces new moon, man, you know, we've been in the refuge, we've been working through this intuition lives course, and we've been um, bringing awareness to our intuitive channels and uh, saying hello to our intuitive intuitive gifts. And as highly sensitive people, we always want to be aware of what's happening in our environment. You know, what energies are available in the collective because we are sensitive to those. So if you have been needing intuitive information, if you have been searching your soul for information, this Pisces new moon is a beautiful time to receive information. Now, the information might not make linear sense to your mind, but that's okay. Activities that are really helpful right now to bring that really subtle, um, uh, inspirational, imaginative information in. So first we bring it in and then later the mind makes sense of it. So things that rituals would be, that would be really appropriate now are, you know, any ritual where you're working with your intuition, you know, so setting a ritual, working with your cards, working with um, guided journaling, drop into my refuge uh, for other um, ideas but also artwork. So ritual artwork, ritual collage, ritual painting, things that allow you to just get into that creative, imaginative flow. The other thing that I love to do during a Pisces time, Piscean time, um, Pisces new moon, is to rest in this place between sleep and awake. When we're in that space between sleep and awake, it's not really meditation. We're not focusing the mind. Rather, we, I believe we travel. We travel between these different worlds. And we're not, we're not doing so consciously, but it's a way to just allow that imaginative, mystical information to seep into the psyche while we get out of the way. So rest um, is very potent at this time. So I hope you enjoy this uh, Pisces new moon. I know that I will. (laughs) Before I forget, I want to give a shout out to my newest members on Patreon, to Sheila, to Melissa, and to Jackie. Thank you so much for your monthly uh, donations. It means a lot to me. Receiving these donations Uh, when I get a new donation, it's very exciting to me. It demonstrates that you like what I'm doing. You want to see it to continue. So thank you. And if you listen to the last episode, you'll know that I'm doing Patreon differently. So the way that I am working with Patreon is that it is a, uh, a community funnel to support the free resources that I offer. So when you support on Patreon, you're not getting additional rewards, you're getting access and and helping to maintain that access for everyone who needs it to all of the free content I offer. So if you can afford, if you have the means to drop a couple of dollars a month in Patreon, that helps 
you are helping support a community of highly sensitive people developing their inherent gifts so that we can, you know, maintain place in the world and not retreat. So your donations, your support, your um, participation also within the refuge and within the free resources uh, helps uh, build this community. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about my guest today. I have quite a story on how I found this next guest and some of my um, uh, desires in in working with this person further. I'm talking to Jeremy J.R. White today, uh, and we have a fantastic conversation about Norse mythology, Norse shamanism, and the runes. Last summer, I was working with Darla Antwine, who I've mentioned all of the times because I love Darla, um, on healing my ancestral lineages. And in the very first lineage that I worked with, which was my father's mother's ancestral line, uh, my ancestors, you know, in this in this bit of a, a, you could call it a journey, I suppose, that I was doing with this ancestral line, they were showing me how they worked with stones for divination. And I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't quite understand the whole metaphor um, until later. But what they, they showed me is that they had this way of working with stones to be able to um, uh, like tell the fates um, and, and uh, you know, having a little bit more information. It's the way that they were working with runes. It's the way that they were working with the, um, the weavers of the weird, if you're familiar with pagan mythology. And um, while I didn't understand all of this at the time, what I did understand eventually is that they, they wanted me very much to learn to read the runes. Now, I've always been drawn to runes, but I, I get very in my head about them, and I never quite know what to do with them. <laughs> and so I have played with runes, and in fact, in meditation, um, the goddess Freya has come to me and has actually cast runes um, in journey and, and had me read them on the ground. So I, I have had very mystical experiences with runes. Um but but have not learned how had not learned how to read them. So eventually, I um, had a student come to me and say, "Hey, you know, I had this great experience with this Norse shaman, this Vitki in Glastonbury in the UK, and I, I think you might enjoy a reading with him." And so I went on this. I I, I scheduled a rune reading with Jeremy, who I'm going to be interviewing, and. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this without saying super cliche, but it it really solidified so many things that I had been seeking answers to. So it it gave me answers, and it um, has um, shifted in a in a more positive way the trajectory of my spiritual understanding, and really has changed my life. And so I'm I'm very excited to be sharing this interview with Jeremy, where we really just kind of geek out about um, mythology, about reclaiming the magic of our ancestors. You know, I'm very interested in anchoring all of my work in the the forms of magic which my ancestors possessed 
just um, staying away from cultural appropriation um, so that I can reclaim what's actually in my blood and in my bones. So in this interview, like I said, we talk about Norse mythology, we talk about reading the runes, we talk about Jeremy's really unique perspective on the runes and um, how, you know, how he works with them, how he works as a shaman and how he sees his place um, in his community. Um, Jeremy has some really great insights, insights on that and how he has really learned to trust the spirit world through his practice with the runes. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Jeremy. He is a healer, teacher, and medicine man working in Glastonbury, England. He combines the mysticism of the Northern Path and the magic of Avalon on his journey to guide and enlighten those who are called to cross his path. So before I found my spiritual path, I worked with runes as a child, as a secret language that I had to talk to me and my friends in and nobody could understand. Then I lived another life for a, up until I was about 40 where I traveled the world running casinos and the complete opposite life. Then I lost everything and then spirit found me. I believe there's a runic awakening now. It's something in our DNA that is remembering. All these things on TV. It started, I suppose, with the Lord of the Rings because that's really about the runes. Interesting. Then, you know, so Tolkien, when they use the, the Hobbit moon runes, they're actually the Elder Futark runes, the oldest runes on the planet. Oh, I didn't know that. Then they filmed the Bosnian pyramids. Have you heard of them? Uh-huh. And inside the Bosnian pyramids, originally they were thought they were 12,000 years old. Now they've carbon dated and they know they're 30,000 years old. And inside those pyramids are megaliths the size of Stonehenge, which are ceramic, which means they've been fired in some kiln. And we don't have kilns that big nowadays, but on those megaliths, the Elder Futart runes are carved. Wow. And wow. when you link the, the runes, they're such a deep subject. You can give you a taste of it, but there's 24 runes in the Elder Futart, and they believe in a cosmos of nine worlds. And we live in Midgard, Middle Earth, just like Lord of the Rings, and there's eight worlds around. When you lay the nine sticks that represent the nine worlds within that pattern, all 24 runes exist, and that pattern exists in the center of the Indian mandala. So it's like a star language. Mm -hmm. But it's, we're only really discovering the power and the truth of them. They're meant to be spoke. They're a language. Mm. Lots of people have their variations and versions of them, and they were used in many countries across Europe, but the oldest version is the Elder Futa. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I work with. Mm -hmm. And where did, I mean, in this, um, the, the dating, where did they originate? Were these always a northern? Uh... Yes, basically, the, originally before the Bosnian pyramids, they'd been found in, in inscriptions 11,000 years old on the Russian steppes with the elder Futark runes. They've also found cave carvings of a one-eyed god with a son with one arm and another son holding a hammer, which is Odin, which is the origins of the runes. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until the Bosnian pyramid they realized they were much, much older. And on those, those world systems, so where we have nine worlds and we live in Midgard, which is Middle Earth, you have fire and ice above and below. You have one side, you have the dead, the realm of the dead, the realm of the giants, the realm of the gods. On the other side, you have the realm of the dark elves or orcs, the green elves or fairies, the light elves or angels or star beings. And they all existed at the same time. And now science has proven that. Mm. Mm -hmm. But it's just that they're all frequencies and who learns to work in which frequency. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it, and it's been so interesting because the more that I've uh, done my own spiritual work, I've found myself in these places, but not known what these places were or where I was gathering information. And so what's been really fascinating for me and part of why I'm so drawn to working with you is you seem to, I mean, you have this knowledge of how this all fits together. Um, It's, it's interesting. Not many people really understand that. And it's, it's been a quest over the last sort of 15 years, really sort of finding the knowledge because it's hidden. So even the sagas and what we have of the Norse traditions, because they were originally the Germanic traditions. So it's where Woden's day is Wednesday, Thor's day is Thursday, Freya's day is Friday. We still kept all those, the Anglo-Saxons. The Norse didn't come in and change them. They were from our own traditions. So we worshiped those gods before Christianity. The last people to use them were the Icelandic people. And that's where we get what you call the sagas remained. And they were written down by Christian monks so that story wasn't lost. Right. They did change them and they did change them with a Christian slant because that's what happens when you translate something from one language to another. Yep. And they sort of uh, undermine the power of women a bit. Mm-hmm. But the magic is still there. It wakes us. Mm-hmm. And especially in the storytelling. So when we look, look at stories like Lord of the Rings, we look at it and we know it's waking something in our DNA. I remember this. Mm-hmm. And we want to belong. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with any person from any place all around the world excuse me, being proud of their heritage. Mm-hmm. We have a, an ancestral knowledge, an ancestral bloodline, and our ancestors died so we could be here, but we have a soul path around, it's been many cultures, but our ancestral Absolutely. bloodline comes through the runes. If Absolutely. you're a white Northern European, Absolutely. That's what's been so powerful for me because as I've, I mean, I recognize the soul pathway, but it, you know, in this day and age, I'm, I'm careful not to take what's not mine, you know, as a, as a white person, as, as a colonizer, yeah. right? I don't want to appropriate from other cultures, even if my soul has an affinity there. So I've been really interested in what is actually my bloodline, like where, you know, what magic have my ancestors claimed my blood ancestors well, it's, it's interesting I, I had to live in america to find out i had the right to be a shaman of my own people in <laughs> right right you know, so in britain i had this knowledge and i have always had this seen these visions as a child but i just ignored it yeah. it was when i lived in a place called eureka springs in arkansas and i was working with cherokee indians and they go oh you're a shaman man you're a medicine man and i used to go yeah what, what a load of rubbish and then things <laughs> happened and involved uh, unfolded for me to the point where i couldn't ignore it anymore and it was only when i accepted that path that i had and part of that path was actually living out on the in the wilderness in washington state Uh things happened there when i was drawn there through the runes Uh and then that brought me back here so tell us a little bit about how how that happened like how like what did that actually look like for you what did that awakening look like what were you called to do what what happened so i was i was actually uh dying in hospital Uh, i got a certain surgery and I was fine afterwards, but there was a flu epidemic in the surgical ward. So they had all these people there and I got pneumonia. And because I was young and fit, they were caring after the old guys and ignored me, but both my lungs collapsed and I was fading away. And it was actually the most peace I'd ever felt in my life. And just as I was fading away, there's this man standing at the end of the bed with one eye. And I thought it was like Gandalf. I thought, who is this Merlin? What's this about? I must be imagining it. And he told me to press the buzzer. And I said, no, I just want to go. And he physically picked up my hand and pressed the buzzer. And then I tried to go back into the dark world of the casinos I worked before and it just spat me out. 
And then finally, I was living in a derelict building in the New Forest. And then he appeared to me around a fire and told me, what have you got? I said, what do you mean? He said, what have you got right now? I said, nothing. He said, exactly. You've got nothing to lose, so change your life. And he started coming to me in visions, and I started listening to his wisdom and understanding. Learned, I've always been a great historian, but the way I teach the runes is purely channeled to me from spirit. Mm. And I believe each person's runic path and shamanic northern path is theirs alone. So when I teach shamanism, I teach them the tools that I use in my path. I cannot show you the path. They have to find themselves. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, you know, and I don't believe you can give somebody a qualification in being a shaman. All the real indigenous shamans, I've worked, they've got no qualifications. Right. They either are or you're not. Right. Yeah, our culture right now is set up for like, here are the four steps to, to do to become the thing. And that's not the way that shamanism, that's not the way no, that magic really works. So I've been teaching yeah. shamanism now about five years. Yeah. And I would say half a dozen of my students now go on teach shamanism with a certificate course at the end of it. Interesting. But I, they didn't get one from me, but they feel it's important for them to be able to sell it, that they have to give away a certificate. Uh-huh. For me, it can't be sold. I, I struggle with the selling of my spiritual path. If people yeah. find me, they find me. If they don't, they don't. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's been challenging. I think I, I hear this a lot and it's challenging for me too, is that the, the spiritual arts don't fit very well with capitalism and it doesn't no. feel very good, you know, to have to push value on something that never had to have that, you know, monetary exchange in the past. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, and there's, there's some people I work with who charge 400 pounds an hour yeah. for readings and they have no gifts or knowledge whatsoever, right. but they are good at attracting clients through right. social media and stuff. Right. I don't think that's ever been any different all the way through history. We go back to the time of Merlin. There was other wizards who were court wizards who earned lots of money and not as much as Merlin. And they didn't like Merlin because he had too much wisdom. So there was always ego and conflict. And even today, if you go to Peru, most of the shamans there became shamans to settle family feuds. There's a lot of that that goes on down there. I have a friend who studies Wichel shamanism. He said there are lots of them. It's all family curses and this and that and hierarchy and not liking them. Exactly the same as us white Northern Europeans in the spiritual world. There's all this ego. And I live in a town that is a wonderful place, but it is overflowing with ego. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of the state of our, you know, where we're at as humans too. Yeah, like absolutely. Working, I think, you know, to move, to move past that. And that, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm always really... Because something that you said to me in a session that I had with you that, yeah. well, did you say that you said it? I can't remember if you said it. To, yes, you said it to me. And then it was um, confirmed within the runes on the journey that I was on um, right. that that I don't you know, that as a shaman, as a mystic, I'm always pushed. I'm always on the boundaries. I'm all I, I'm never fully embraced, maybe for periods of time. Maybe sometimes I'm let in you know, to yeah. the community, to those around, but I'm usually kind of pushed out. And that has made so much of my journey make sense. Yeah, you're, never, you're always going to be the black sheep, but you need yes. to know who your tribe is. Exactly. You know, who you watch over. Right, exactly. Most of them will be scared of you and not understand the path. And that's just the way of shamanism. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I had, I had kind of thought that I thought that maybe had been it. And it was so, it was like, it was so reaffirming. 
it was so affirming, just affirming to have that been, been said and then shown that, shown the same thing in the journey. Like, in, you know, in the journey that I was on, I was just watching. I wasn't invited. They were my people, but I wasn't invited. And that no, was really you interesting. You be on the outside. And then when yeah. what's supposed to happen. It's interesting for me, something's just come up in Glastonbury, an American lady. Uh, she's just bought a retreat center. She's one of my students. She worked with me a couple of years ago. And she wants to me to be the caretaker of that land the guardian of the land it's a property that backs right onto glastonbury tour and it has very powerful energy and she said she'd feel happier if i was there that's my role as a shaman that's what i'm supposed to do to be able to filter that energy so the people can come and heal because for some people it's too much absolutely you know it can be overwhelming for some people you take them from where the modern 21st century world and then let the veil slip away they can crash and burn Absolutely. So you are what you call the babysitter to make sure everyone's okay. Yeah. So for those, you know, who are listening that aren't as familiar with the runes, how do the runes work? I mean, we t- we, we've kind of talked generally about they work magically and, you know, they, they show us the way, but how do they work? So what on the they? basic level, they're a language. Mm-hmm. They're like an alphabet. We're taught at school, A is for apple, B is for ball. But with the runes, A is for answers, B is for beginnings. Each one had a spiritual meaning. The most important thing about the runes is they are a language. They're meant to be spoken and sung, and the sound is what is the healing aspect of it. So a prime example, even in our modern fairy tales, the runes still exist. So we have the very first rune. The first six runes spell the word Futhark, which means father. And the very first rune is Feu, the rune of the goddess Freya. It's the rune of abundance and wealth. And uh, the way you bring that rune into your life is saying that letter with every vowel sound of the alphabet. So you're bringing it in, in every way that you can speak. Hence, fee, fi, fo, fum. From Jack Uh the the giant who has the goose that lays the golden egg. Uh He's evoking abundance. So that medicine works all around us. I had never put that together. That's brilliant. And, and you have one. So in Scotland, there's, a, there's a, the C rune is called Ken, which is the rune, the torch to show you the light in the dark. And in Scotland, they'll still say today, do you Ken? Do you understand? Mm. And the old English word for teachings was Kennings. You learn, you shine the light on something. Mm-hmm. But they still exist all around us, but they have a, a what you call a, mystical meanings for divination they have a mythical meaning which is for storytelling and taking people on journeys i've took you on a journey with the runes mm-hmm. and then they have a magical meaning you mm-hmm. can't learn the magical meaning until you know the other two mm-hmm. and then there's a very deeper level called the dragon runes which you forget all the meanings of everything else and you start again on a different level because mm-hmm. you have to speak the dragon language and that's mm-hmm. something that goes on and on and on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but many people will learn the runes. You'll see many variations of how people work with the runes. The way I work with the runes is my way, the way that spirit showed me. And it feels authentic because I'm trusting what spirit's showing me. Mm-hmm. I read the runes in a very modern way that speak to the people of my time. Because all this medicine is ancient for our ancestors. But we don't speak that language. We speak the language of our time. So we have to make this magic or medicine accessible to the people of my time actually i'll show you something so this is a book called the havermel it's mm-hmm. probably like the pocket havermel like the pocket bible it's got the ten commandments in it there's a the 77th stanza is a very popular one okay mm-hmm. so it's 
Cattle die, kinsmen die, we ourselves also die. But I know one thing that never dies, judgment upon a dead one. Okay, so which doesn't really make a lot of sense to people in the modern world. So when I say, I say cattle die, kinsmen die, no man is immortal, but the things we do in our life can live forever. Yeah. So I'm saying it in my language of our time. Yeah. The same meaning, but yeah. it's got to resonate with the people. So, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's on the shamanic, in the Havamel, there's the 18 charms of Odin. And I, the first one is, is it's called help. I know a charm called help. It'll help me with accusations and sorrows and all sorts of anxiety because man is his own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. That's an, a timeless charm because we suffer those same anxieties now as they suffered then. Mm-hmm. But if you read the original version, it's gobbledygook. So you have, <laughs> have to put it in our way that makes sense to resonates to Joe Bloggs. Yeah. So yeah. like a place like Glastonbury is a town full of medicine people. Right. So it's like preaching uh, to the converted. It's pointless. Yeah. I have to be able to reach the guy who works in the construction site, right. the truck driver, in a right. way right. that I can help them with the rooms. Right. So right. when I meet somebody, you've had a reading with me, uh-huh. I just get you to pick the rooms, or if you're doing it over line, you'll pick the numbers and I'll cast them, and I allow the runes to speak to me in the language. Mm-hmm. And I speak what the Spirit's showing me to you, and if what makes sense, then what they're showing me for the future makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I always send or give people runes to wear and take on. Mm-hmm. or to write down because the guidance is there. We're going to rebalance that energy. And I've had people come into me who do Reiki, who do this. They're putting their hands on people when they're seeing these shapes, they think of runes mm-hmm. because that frequency, that runic knowledge is waking up again. Yes. It's it, after the, the session that I had with you, I, and I received the rune and I'd been wearing it around my neck and, you know, working with, I think you gave me the, the Freya yeah. rune. Yeah. Um, and I did, a, I, I did a little bit of a journey or a meditation where I met with Freya in the woods again, and she put runes in my hand, scooped them up and threw them and showed me the outline. I didn't know, even know what they were, but I woke up, then when I came back, I drew them. I had no idea of the interpretation, but I'm being shown the signs yeah. and I'm like, okay, I need to under, you know, learn and understand. I know the magic's working, but. Well, no, it's, it's interesting because that's exactly how I learned to read the runes. I was shown in spirit. Uh-huh. Other people who read runes, they pick the runes for the client. They'll pick one rune out of a bag, but that's not I was shown. I was in a vision and I had my bones on the floor like I'm a shaman. And this uh-huh. other person picked up the runes and I said, throw them. And then I interpreted what they'd thrown because uh-huh. what was inside of them came out. Uh-huh. And it made perfect sense to me. Uh-huh. So I don't know anybody else who reads the runes like me, except people I've taught. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and it feels right. And yours, whatever you saw in your vision is right for you. Exactly. Yeah, it made, it, in, 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 the, in the vision, when I interpreted them, it made perfect sense. When I came back out and got in my analytical mind, it was like looking up runes. I was like, I don't get it. Because I was not in this, you know, it was a different place. It, it wasn't yeah, meant to be done that way. And also, you're looking up interpretations of other people. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a rune called a now these or need. If you read the academic books because there's lots of academic books been written about the runes because they are a language and they'll say need is the letter n it means need something that's necessary the need fire rubbing together i use a different meaning because a woman i spoke to a woman and it made perfect sense she said it's the rune of letting go 
you're tethered in a time. You need to let those bonds go so you can find what you need. That's what you really need. No, I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. And that's what the runes do. You'll find your own meaning within them and your way of healing with them as well. Absolutely. Re really important. So, uh, it's, so that basically what I teach, there's 18 charms. But actually after the 18 charms, I believe there's another nine charms you have to find yourself. So that's your own magic within the path. And this is after you've learned to read the runes because nobody who does my shamanic path doesn't read the runes because they have to write everything down in the runic language. So if somebody picks it up, they don't understand it. That's the idea. That's what rune means. It's a secret. It's a whisper. So, and then those, the very last charm, which is a 27th, which is my own personal charm, which was come to me through spirit is I allow the light of Boulder. Have you ever heard of Boulder? So no. Boulder is the youngest son of Oda. He's Odin. He's the Boulder, the beautiful, the, the sun God, the God of love and peace. He is the imagery of the Christian Christ, long blonde hair, a goatee beard and blue eyes. Christ was a man of the Middle East. Doesn't make him any less powerful, but the image they stole was Boulder. Mm -hmm. and he is the sun god and he gives, just brings joy and love to the world mm -hmm. but my 27th charm is i know a 27th to allow the light of boulder to resonate within every cell of my being so that i may heal with my touch my words my thoughts mm -hmm. and that's becoming one with the runes and just allowing it to be out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and if in my lifetime i get three people that carry on and take it deeper then i've done my job right Right. I, I just love what you're talking about, about letting the, the runes speak to you. I mean, I, I've, I've just been dabbling. I'm going to take your rune course coming up here. But um, something I have worked with in a similar way are like cards, you know, oracle yeah. cards and things like that. And I have this, this deck I've been telling people about. Uh, I know the artist who did it. And, and it's, like the, it's, it's like the images speak volumes. Yeah. And they always speak, you know what, if I'm doing it for myself or for someone else, it's always a different interpretation. You know, it's always slightly different, you know, really, really keyed in. And it's really allowing, you know, the, the voice of spirit or the voice of, you know, the guidance to come through. It's such an, it's such an important skill for, you know, for shamans, That's, for mystics. So to, probably to I'd say 70% of my students who learn the runes with me uh -huh. are already card readers, yeah. already div, div, into div, divining. Uh -huh. but they already have the skills needed to be a reader right some people who start have no idea and they have to learn the way around saying things to people but if you've already got those gifts it's a lot more sense the fact yeah. when i teach the runes i teach people the alphabetical meaning as well because when you cast the runes names came up in them <laughs> uh -huh. so you know i did a reading for a lady the other day and basically she's sitting down and i said the word ram has come across the center of your reading and I said, I fear you're going to be butting heads with somebody. It's a warning. And I said, I'm just going to read it the opposite way because sometimes the runes go backwards and forwards. And they can only show me three letters. And I said, who's Mark? And she went, Mark? I went, yeah. I said, I think that's who you're going to be butting heads with. And she said, my landlord of my property just died and his son's inherited and his name's Mark and apparently is a nightmare. So I said, the runes are preparing you to be ready for that conflict. Yeah, and that's how clearly they speak. Mm -hmm. I had another mm -hmm. story, and this sounds completely bizarre, but it was a woman came in a room. So I, I sometimes, well, not sometimes, quite a lot. I actually see psychic things in people when they walk in the room. Sure. But I never say it unless it's confirmed in the rooms mm -hmm. because that could be my ego. And I'm very aware 
You know, I just imagine that and I'm always testing myself. Yep, of course. So this woman walked in the room. There was a red hummingbird flying behind her. She sat in the chair. I said nothing. She put her hands on the room. She cast the room. The very three closest to her it says, in the room's Roy. So I, so I said, excuse me, who's Roy? She went, that's my husband who's just committed suicide. I said, well, I'm going to say this now because the runes have shown me some proof. What does that mean to a red hummingbird? And she picks up her sleeve and she's got a red hummingbird. She's just had tattooed on her arm with the letters Roy on it. So Roy was there seeing what she's done. And she spent the whole half an hour talking directly to Roy through the runes, mm -hmm. which is, there are not many forms of divination that can do that. Yeah. And then you can give that person runes to go away with mm -hmm. that help them in their lives. Another woman came to see me. She wanted a medium. And I said, I'm not really a medium. I'm a shaman. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And her father came through and his name came up, which was Keith. And we're talking about stuff. And I said, who's Keith? She goes, that's my dad I wanted to speak to. And she said, she said, oh my God, how'd you get that? I said, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not guessing it. It says it in the runes. <laughs> All I'm doing is I'm, I'm translating for you. And she said, well, I want to ask you a question. Only my dad would know. I said, well, cast the runes. So I interpreted what it was. And I said, okay, your dad's here. He's not very happy with something to do with a roof or a house and his garden that seems to be in his pride and joy is getting battered. And so does that make sense? And she said, we're having an extension on the house. We're redoing the roof and the cement lorry drove over across my father's flower beds. I said, so he's seeing that he's witnessing it. She came back the next day for another reading. I said, listen, I can't do that. She goes, but I want to talk to my dad again. I said, that's, there, your dad was there, came through, come back in three months and he might be there again. If not, the runes will just speak to you. Mm -hmm. So I can't do it on, what's the word? On, on call. call. Yeah, I can't do yeah. it. It's the way it works. Well, in the spirit world doesn't necessarily work mm -hmm. that way. You know, I've, I've had that too, where someone wants to talk to someone. I'm like, well, if they show up, you know, as you know, as I, I you know, I work as a, a psychic and it's like, well, if they show up, maybe, show up, but they yeah. may or may not. So we'll do what we can. <laughs> Well, for me, so for me, the confirmation is in the ruins is when I get a name. Exactly. And it's, yeah. that's clarity. Okay, they want to speak. Yeah. 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 But the first thing you've got to learn, so you don't have to learn this because you already have psychic skills already. Mm -hmm. You've honed your psychic abilities. Mm -hmm. But for an average person, they first learn to read the runes and trust them. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're going to give people advice from the runes, you must do what the runes say for you as well. Then otherwise yes. you have no right to pass on that knowledge to somebody else. Absolutely. And that's part of the first things we do when people do the rune course, if they want to have their runes blessed is to make a promise to only ever say and do what the runes tell you, even for yourself. Mm. So any other questions you'd like to know? I'm rambling on here. No, no, no. Gosh, I'm just like, I'm loving all the story stuff. Um, I'm curious about the daily practices that you do for yourself. I mean, I've seen that you do walks around Glastonbury. I know you do um, some uh, uh, stewardship of land, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that part of your life? Glastonbury itself is the top of the tour is just one place. The Isle of Avalon is vast and there are lots of spiritual energies and portholes at different places. Mm -hmm. When I did my walking, my firm's called Walking with Wizards and I wanted to do a walk where to take people to the places they wouldn't find if they came as a tourist and to do ceremonies, a thing called a sumble rite, which is a Saxon tradition where we pour mead into a horn and we pour it to the land first and we honor the site. We ask the land whites to enter. We ask our gods to bless us. 
and we ask our ancestors to be proud of us and then we can enter Avalon. And as we go around, I show them the places where they should show, come on their own when they're not with me to connect. And when I'm on my own, I walk the, the route of Avalon, which is basically logged out by 24 rooms, mm. uh, which came from, once again, it was vision. Mm-hmm. You know, this was just before I went to live in America and it was bizarre. I was doing a reading for somebody they wanted to be read for at the bottom of the tour. I said, at the bottom of the tour, they said, I said, okay, it was summer, it was June. I said, I'll read for you there. So I gave them a reading, they're really pleased, and I'm putting my runes back into my bag, my runes that I had for 10 years, and one's missing. And I searched and searched, and I couldn't find it. So I went on vision with my drum to ask what this was about. And Odin told me to take the other 23 runes, just put them in my pocket, and walk to my sacred places around Glastonbury, and randomly throw a rune out of my pocket and remember what rune went to each place. So I did that, arriving back at the place where I'd started and I found the rune that we'd lost in the first place. <laughs> well, I went on another vision and thought, what's this all about? And he said, well, now you're going to America and you have to make a set of runes made from the clay of Glastonbury soil. And when you're in America, you pick a rune, that's like a telephone directory bringing you back to the energy of where you've left the runes here. <sighs> And that's the walk I do when I'm on my own. I connect with each space. And, it, and the place I'm moving into to be the guardian of is one of those places where mm-hmm. I used to sit and it related to the light of Boulder. I was that energy to watch over it. Mm-hmm. So it all comes to, and the where I lived in America was just nuts. I'll tell you a story. It's, it's, it's not that long. So I used to do a market at Astoria, Sunday market. Yeah. And I had a big cauldron of runes there and people would pick runes. And I hadn't seen many Chinook Indians with my time in Washington. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and there's a Native American woman with her son and she's attractive, but her son is striking. The most handsome warrior I've ever seen. He was about 17. And she's looking at my runes. She said, this, is this medicine? And I said, it's the medicine of my people. And she said, I'm South Nima Chinook. And uh, there's no medicine people in my tribe anymore. So I said, pick a handful of runes and she picked Odin's rune. And I said, that's Odin, that's a shaman. I said, it's the perfect one for medicine man. I said, take this back to where you live and plant it in the land and the medicine man will return. We then left the story and we went down to Salem and the Eugene. Then we were coming back to Vancouver and we were looking for somewhere to live in Portland, Oregon. And when I was a boy, I used to tell my father I was gonna be a mountain man, I'm gonna live in the wilderness. And this is in London in the 1960s. And he just <laughs> thought I was nuts. And I was looking for property to rent in Portland, and a cabin came up for rent in the middle of the wilderness on Willapa Bay. So I phoned the real estate agent and I said, listen, there's a cabin there. He said, yeah, it's 15 miles from the nearest town and it's three and a half miles off the forest road before you even get to the cabin. So we went down there, it was, the sun was setting and we we're driving down this road and it took about maybe 35 minutes to go three and a half miles down this road. We turned up to this cabin and the sun was setting and the guy said, don't upset the people in the cabin, they're crazy, they're leaving in a week but just let me know if you could actually do that drive. And I got out of the cabin and I looked over Willapa Bay and there's an eagle coming down, taking salmon from the lake. And I thought, wow, this is beautiful. All of a sudden this woman comes screaming out the cabin with the sun setting behind her. And I thought, oh my God. And she stopped there. She goes, it's the rune man. And it was a native American woman I gave the rune to and told her to plant that rune in that land. So the shaman did return. It's one of those, it's so nuts. You can't make it up. I'm just, I just have goosebumps as you're telling me this story. It's and, amazing. And as me and my ex-American wife weren't getting on, she was digging in the garden and found my room. 
And then she threw it at me. She said, this is yours. And, you, and I went, okay, so now you just set me free. And then we set up, I came home to England, and now that rune is buried about six foot down on Glastonbury Tour. So, <laughs> wow. So did, you so did you live there and kind of act as the shaman there for a little bit? The medicine in, man there? In the wilderness, not working yeah. with people, just working with the land and healing. Working the with land. the land. Mm. There's lots of stuff that happened there that it's, I was charged, challenged by Sasquatch, which I didn't know it was. And I put a post on Facebook, and I had like maybe six private messages from hunters and policemen. He said they've had the same thing. I actually believe Sasquatches are, are what you call the gatekeepers, the watchdogs between the worlds. Mm. Wherever there's a porthole, they stand. You never find a body because they're not from this world. They're from the, the giants, the giants. Mm -hmm. And they watch that there's a porthole, they come through. Mm -hmm. All of the Native American totem poles of Pacific Northwest have a Sasquatch at the bottom. Mm -hmm. you know, and so things, my friend came to stay with me in the wilderness and he was like an expert on Bigfoot. And I didn't know. And he went, there's more Bigfoot signs here where you live than I've ever seen. Uh -huh. you know, and then we saw something in the wilderness and he was going to take a photograph and he dropped his camera. I said, brother, it's not meant to be photographed. Just, just, just enjoy yeah. and be with that energy. But it was, well, a, I was doing a, a talk on ley lines and it was really bizarre because I was, I found my spiritual path in the new forest, just outside Bournemouth in the South coast of England. And I did a line between Bournemouth and Stonehenge where I went to accept my path and it went straight through Glastonbury. And I carried the line on and it went straight through Western Supermare, where I live now, where the runes died in Britain. And I've ended up my girlfriend who lives in now. That's where I live. Mm. Where, did you watch Ragnar Lothbrok, the Vikings? Mm-hmm. So Ubba's burial mound is in a village just called Uphill. It used to be called Uphill. His mm. hill is there where Ubba is buried. And I sit there and do my stuff. And then I was at this, doing this line. I said, look, there's a, a straight line. These are all on a straight line. From Bournemouth to this place is one straight line. I carried it on to the west coast of Wales where I grew up as a kid through the same place where I had the very same experiences with the Sasquatches. I carried that on. It went through my father's village in Ireland. And I carried that on and it went all the way through Willapa Bay in Pacific Northwest. So wow. my life is on a ley line. You have the ley line of your life, especially your spiritual path, and you have oh. no control over it. Yeah. Mother Earth guides us where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful medicine, especially for listening. And I, lo I love that commitment, you know, that commitment to the runes and that commitment to the path. It's so important, you know, especially at least in America, you know, I don't know how it is there, but in America, we don't, we don't ha have deep commitment like that. Hardly. It's rare. It's so rare. Yeah, but it's, it's, you have that the same in, in Britain as well. A lot of people, yeah. I mean, especially in Glastonbury, will, are spiritual as a job. It's just a job to them. They're readers, yeah. they're healers, they're Reiki masters. But I ask them, what's your path? What do you mean my path? I said, what's beyond this? So for me, my runic path is beyond teaching, beyond doing readings. Right. I'm following the path of the gods for my own enlightenment and to keep me whole. Exactly. So the runic, when you walk the runic path, it is a path. It's not a course. Right. You accept it as part of you and it will take you wherever you need to go. Right. And I don't think if it wasn't that strong, I wouldn't do it. It had no power. Right. You know, it's... And, it, and some people are meant to get just a little bit from it. Some people are meant to get a bit more. Some people are going way deep. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between a reader, a healer, a helper, a counselor, and a shaman. Mm -hmm. The word shaman comes from the Sami Indians of the Pacific, uh, not the Pacific Northwest, that's where you are, from uh, <laughs> Lapland. Uh -huh. you know, and it means just medicine person. The correct, mm -hmm. correct term is vitki. Yeah. 
you know, and you have a seether. Have you heard that term before? Yes, actually, I just spoke to a woman here who does seether. Yeah. Seether. So that's, you're seething. It's, the D sound is a TH. Yes. The seether. And yeah. there's a seed carna, which is a male version. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I still work uh, with probably half a dozen women from the Portland and Vancouver area who are my friends and been my, my first students. Mm -hmm. staff I use in Glastonbury to on my walks was made by my first shamanic class which was all my students from Portland and the stick they used they went and got from the forest where I lived mm. you know so it's all it's one mother earth but we all find that place where our power spot is exactly so and, yeah. and, it, and it's interesting in America there is a, a spiritual awakening of the northern European people but they don't know where to turn and it's, it's like you say you don't want it take over somebody else's traditions well i mean that's our mentality right we're we, like colonization is kind of in our blood and so we tend to oh well, i can just take this i can just take this i can just take this but really it's still it, when we do it that way we're actually creating harm on on some others well it's we do need a place to turn yeah our place to turn yeah so my father's an irish protestant my mother's an italian catholic as a child Christianity made no sense to me at all. Yep. You know, because it's just they're killing each other over the same thing. Yeah. And all the three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all come from the same book, which is nuts. The oldest spirituality on the planet is shamanism. At least they know now now about 40,000 years old, where we all individually have our own way to God. And like you see in the Viking series, which it does portray, the history is a bit whacky in it, to be honest. But the way it portrays the connection to odin is, is individual for each one mm -hmm. you connect to odin and freya in your own way absolutely you, you absolutely. don't need to be and it's interesting i've been asked to join groups and societies that do stuff and and then they want to tell me what the rules are and how you connect and this is what we do and you know and it's i was asked to i had to do somebody wanted me to be on the rune council of some place but i had to do their rune course before i was qualified to do it no i don't want part no of yeah yeah i i have the same feelings about things like that <laughs> you know it's interesting it's interesting it's i i have a heart yeah it yeah being in some sort of collective where there are rules it feels limiting it feels like we're doing the same thing that our religious ancestors did yeah. and it's like no that's not that's not where we're we need to go that's 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 not going to create freedom and you know greater enlightenment and consciousness i don't think well it was interesting there was one group i used to work in vancouver mall in the i used to have a shop called tribe and people used to come in and talk to me and these guys were talking they're out of prison in their sartre movement and they were talking about what they were told about the the goddess freya that she's more of a virgin mary energy and i said listen the goddess freya is the god of love sex and magic yeah uh, and abundance and yeah. those have to be revered in women, not hidden away. Each on each of the nine directions. Yeah. Sorry, the, the eight there's a male and female in each direction. Mm -hmm. Perfect balance, male and female energy all the way around. Yep. And even the modern Norse path is trying to take that away, make it all warriors' path. But women are warriors as well. Mm -hmm. Women are ship maidens as well. Mm -hmm. Odin is nothing, but Odin knows everything and tells poems. His wife Frigga knows everything and says nothing. She holds that space. Freya at the bottom is the goddess of the queen of the fae, but her husband is Otter. He's a human, the only man that's allowed in Asgard because she looks like her, his, her husband who left her because she wanted to sleep with somebody for some gold for a nice necklace called Bryson Gammon. And there's stories to be learned in everything. And each one 
So you have Loki, who's the god of trickster and, and mischief, and he does good or bad, whatever's good for him. Right. But his partner is Siggy, a goddess of loyalty, who will never let him down. So there's a counterbalance in each each way. I can't wait to learn more of this from you. <laughs> it's, it's a long path. So the, the it's room a class, long path. Yeah. Eight classes every two weeks. The shamanic path is a two-year class. Oh yeah, well that makes sense. Well, and just when you talk about it, there's such a familiarity. I remember when the, um, you know, the Avengers movies, like the Thor movies, came out. There yeah. was something about that where I was like, "There's, there's something, there's something to this," you know. And of course, I mean, of course, it's not historic. It's not, you know, but there was something to it that I was really drawn to. Besides the fact that the, you know, the the actors. Well, really- it was interesting. I, my my sons are really into these movies, so I watch. The Infinity Stone one. Have you seen the latest one? Yeah. So you have all this technology of Iron Man and everything, mm-hmm. and then you have the wild human energy of the Hulk. Then you have this guy who's a Thanos who's going to destroy the planet because there's too many of us and we're destroying everything. So he wants to clear away 80% of us. Really? Probably not a bad idea. <laughs> right. And he's got this glove <laughs> with the seven chakra zones in it. And when it's complete, he'll be able to control everything. And just when he thinks it's there, the only God that can destroy him is Thor, awakening from the past. Mm-hmm. So there's something coming, Thor's energy. He's pure. He can come back and he can defeat the technology. It's what's waking up in us. So whether Stan Lee channeled that, he doesn't know. But those the way, that's the way spirit works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trying to say stuff. We have a thing called the Last Kingdom. Have you seen that? No. So that's really interesting. You, sh- you should watch that because that's far more accurate in history than Vikings. Is it on, wh- what's it on, Netflix or? It's on Netflix. It'll be on okay. Netflix or okay. BBC America. It's really okay. worth seeing. There's three series. And it's, it shows you a good balance between the pagan path and the Christian path. Ah, brilliant. I love that. I just feel like we could talk for hours, um, but I think this is—I think this feels like a good transition point. So I always like to end, Jeremy, yeah. by asking you, what's what's if you could leave our listeners with one thing? What's the one thing you want them to know? I'm going to repeat the uh, the seventy-seven stanza: yeah. "Cattle die, kinsmen die, no man is immortal, but the things you do in your life can live forever." Thank you so much. This has been fascinating. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, Anna. Yeah. I may see you again soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the show. All of the show notes, links, and references can be found at www.sensitivityuncensored.com. If you'd like to read more about high sensitivity or intuition, sign up for my mailing list, book an intuitive reading with me, or learn about my membership or school, please visit my website at www.sensitivityuncensored.com.